I'm going to pray because this is going to be hard for me. (laughs) Heavenly Father, just ask now that you would help me speak these words clearly and that your truth might be clear for us to understand. Amen. Thirty first of December, nineteen ninety nine. Some of you weren't even born yet. <laughs> In many cases, it was a New Year's Eve like any other. Sydney Harbour was filled with people to, ready to celebrate the beginning of a new year, the beginning of a new millennium. And I remember staying up to watch these on TV. But for others. People watched in fear of the dreaded millennium bug. And back then, computers, unlike today, dates were stored with two digits. So instead of 1999, it was just 99. And computers knew that it was 1999. What's the problem? Well, to quote an article from National Geographic... As the year 2000 approached, computer programmers realized that computers might not interpret double zero as 2000, but as 1900. Activities that were programmed on a daily or yearly basis would be damaged or flawed. As December 31st, 1999 turned into January 1st, 2000, computers might interpret 1931, 1999 as January 1, 1900. Banks which calculate interest rates on a daily basis faced real problems. Interest rates are the amount of money a lender, such as a bank, charges a customer, such as an individual or business, for a loan. Instead of the rate of interest for one day, the computer would calculate a rate of interest for minus 100 years. Do the maths. If you've got a home loan, that's great news. That's the best news. Instead of paying interest on your loan, you get 100 years of interest back. You would be a trillionaire. So what if the world's banking system collapses? No big deal. In preparation for this millennium apocalypse, people like Angela Perrin, that's not her, and her husband sold their belongings, and moved off-grid. She moved into the Scottish Highlands. They bought a cottage which had no running water or mains electricity. Mr. Perrin learned to shoot in case food distribution broke down completely and they needed to kill rabbits for food. They planted their own fruit and vegetables. They built a chicken coop. They stored dried goods in preparation for the worst-case scenario. Now, you might laugh at that. But the reality is we all struggle with some uncertainty about the future. How many have a rainy day count? Money set aside for those emergencies in life. Now, we may not face a digital apocalypse, But it'd be nice to know a little bit about the future, wouldn't it? So we could be ready. And this is an age-old human desire. And so when Jesus tells his disciples here that the temple, the center of Jewish religious life, when the temple will be destroyed, they want to know. 
when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Well, Jesus tells them. He said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. In 43 AD, Rome launched an invasion against Britain. Between 41 and 54 AD, the Emperor Claudius faced four famines during his reign. We read about this in Acts 11 of one of the famines there. In 62 AD, an earthquake struck the ancient city of Pompeii. In AD 65, a plague struck in the autumn. During the reign of Emperor Nero, between 54 and 68 AD, we see the rise of organized government persecution of Christians. And in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. Wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilence, and persecution. Was this the end? Well, unless we unknowingly live in the apocalypse now, it doesn't seem like it. The world continues to turn. But we also live in a time where our world is seeing these things and it is filled with distress, with anguish, with terror and apprehension. So how is what we've just read good news? How does this gospel, because it's not separate from Easter that's around the corner, this is not separate. This is part of what we proclaim. How is this hope for our world? What are we meant to do with this? Jesus says to his disciples, do not be frightened, stand firm and you will win life. And that's the goal of all of this. Everything Jesus says here, that's the goal, to stand firm and to win life. And that's my prayer and my hope for you, that you will stand firm, that you will know what it is to stand firm in Jesus and that you will win life in him that your faith would be bold and unmoved despite the things that are shaking this world because it stands firm on Jesus and his word. And I pray that this will be a church that stands firm, that is united in a confident hope in this gospel, that we might be a people that helps others find and win life in Jesus. Because we can stand firm on the freedom and the salvation that is won for us on the cross. Easter is five days away. So are you ready? Or will it just be another weekend that will pass you by? As we continue through Luke, Jesus is heading to the cross. 
He is going to the cross. There are three chapters left in Luke and he is going to the cross. He is preparing his disciples and his followers to be ready for what is coming. But at this point, they still don't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is doing and they don't understand why. And here he warns them that a time is coming when these things will unfold. And he doesn't tell them this so they can predict when things will happen, but so that they can be prepared, that they can stand firm and win life in him. And so as we see here, there will always be signs. Jesus tells them of these signs, but we we see that there will always be signs. Jesus wants his disciples to respond in faith and not fear. And he wants them to stand firm and win life in him. Jesus tells us there will be signs. Signs in the sun, moon and stars. Signs we can see. Not hidden spiritual mysteries that are revealed only to a select religious spiritual few. This isn't for those secret prophets. No, this is for everyone to see. It will be seen in nature, in creation, so that the whole world can see. And these signs will cause anguish and confusion as nature roars in alarm. People will faint in terror. People will be apprehensive about what is coming. And world history is full of these. World history is full of these sequence of events. Wars, natural disasters, famines, epidemics, and persecution. In the 12th century, for example, you have the great crusades that warred between Europe and the Middle East. You have this earthquake that hits Aleppo in Syria. You have famines and epidemics recorded across localities in Europe and Christians living under the Islamic caliphate were persecuted. Was that the end? The list goes on. In the 20th century, in the, in the past 100 years, we have seen Two world wars, we have seen the Great Depression, we have seen the global financial crisis, we have seen the Spanish flu, we've seen COVID. In the early 20th centuries, the Jehovah Witnesses believed that it was the end. 1914, God is coming back. It's the end. So how do we understand all of these things? How do we respond these to these signs? Even recently, the weather we experienced, I don't know if you realize this, in Brisbane, we, we, in, in six days, we got 80% of our annual rainfall. In six days. It's good business for one of our water engineers. Six days, 80%. What's that? 365, 80%. <laughs> 10 months, 
give or take, 10 months of rain in six days. And this weather system is affecting our neighbours down in the south. People in the northern rivers and western Sydney have been evacuated twice. You've got the <laughs> pandemic, you've got wars overseas, you've got financial stress and all the, the ongoing effects that it will have on our farmers and our food supply. And our world is filled with anxiety because of all of this. They are confused, there is fear, there is apprehension. And that's just about tomorrow, let alone the end of the world. Are these signs of the end? But when the end does come, verse 27, Jesus will return with power and great glory. And regardless of when it happens, all of these events, past, present and future, cause us or should cause us to respond. Not to react in fear, but to respond. And to respond in faith. Jesus tells his disciples to pay attention to what's happening around them. Like trees whose leaves mark the changing seasons, the events of our world tell the changing seasons of history. When we see these things happening, we know that the kingdom of God is drawing near. Stand up and lift up your heads because redemption is drawing near. Jesus says, stand firm and you will win life. Now, it's tempting to hide under a rock and ignore what's happening in the world. In our digital age, with information and news at our fingertips, the pressure to stay on top of it all seems overwhelming. Well, let me give you some good news. I don't think Jesus is saying to keep on top of the news 24-7. I don't think he's asking you to keep on top of what's going on to understand the times. What I think he's trying to say is that we trust him despite these things going on. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. He says, do not be frightened because he wants us to know that he is with his people. He promises to be with his people. And when he talks about persecution, he says, make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Now, maybe you've heard people challenge you. What would you do if someone threatened you or your family if you don't renounce your faith? What would you do? And look, I've thought that. I've probably said it to people. But Jesus doesn't say that. No, he says, don't worry about it. He says, make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. He doesn't tell you to go, imagine that situation. Imagine being in persecution and imagine how you'll respond. He says, don't worry about it. Instead, he calls us not to fear, but rather faith. So how do we battle this fear of the unknown? How do we rid ourselves of this worry? 
How do we stand firm and win life? We do it by coming back to the words of Jesus. Because even when heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus' words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words, Jesus says, will never pass away. The kingdom of God is near. Redemption is near. Stand firm and you will win life. As Easter comes in the, in, around the corner, we remember and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And right after this chapter, if you keep reading, right after this chapter, we are told of the moment Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples and followers, will go to the religious leaders to betray him. The kingdom of God is near. Really? Humanity has been walking this earth for close to 2,000 years after Jesus left. The kingdom of God is near? Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Did Jesus get it wrong? Is he one of those crazy people that BuzzFeed covers that predicted the end of the world and they got it wrong? The Bible tells us Jesus doesn't even know when the end will come. About that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. What's going on here? Jerusalem was destroyed, just as Jesus told his disciples. So what? Is the kingdom of God near or not? Is our redemption near or not? How long do we have to stand firm? Go back to verse 24. Look at what Jesus says about Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jerusalem will be trampled on until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Writing to the Romans, Paul tells the Christians that Israel, the people of God, will be saved after the full number of Gentiles has come into God's kingdom. Romans 11.25. Who are the Gentiles? That's you and me, the non-Jews. We're part of this number of Gentiles. The, P the Apostle Peter, he writes in his letter, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, this is what Jesus is saying. This generation... This generation of humanity, not this generation of people, not this generation that will live for 70, 80 years. No, this generation of humanity 
will not pass away. This world will not pass away. Heaven and earth will not pass away until God's quota is met. God will not be satisfied. He will not bring judgment until the full number of people are saved. That's good news. The kingdom of God is near. Redemption is near. Jesus will come again in a cloud with power and great glory. Stand firm and you will win life. But it's not just you. It's this whole world. God wants more and more people to stand firm and to win life in Jesus. And that's why we exist. This is why the church continues to exist. This is why evangelism and mission must be our driving purpose. This world will not pass away until God saves as many people, redeems as many people as he can for eternity. Nation will continue to rise against nation. The world will groan in pain through earthquakes, famines, epidemics, pandemics, and persecution will continue until Jesus comes again. But all of these things, these fearful events and great signs remind us of this. God's not done. God is not done with this world. And as terrible as these things may seem, God's not done. Because God is seeking to redeem and save as many people as possible so that they do not face an eternal damnation without him. So, where does that leave us? What do we do with this? Well, if you don't really know Jesus, if you don't know him as Lord and Savior, if you don't know him personally, God's trying to get your attention. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know this life that can be found in Jesus. He wants to bring you out of darkness into the light. Jesus came, as we remember at Easter, Jesus came to save and redeem the lost, to save and redeem people from sin and death. That's why Jesus came. And all the things that happen around us, whether they're great tragedies on the global scale or just the everyday tragedies of life, God is getting people's attention. But for many of you who know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, this is a wake-up call for us. Be careful, be watchful and persevere. Stand firm and you will win life. We'll come back to this in a moment. But what I want all of us to hear is this. It's not about you. Redemption, salvation, the kingdom of God, it's not about you. This is all about God, all about His glory, all about His plans and purposes to redeem this world and as many people as he can for himself.
we exist personally and together as the church of God for God. Because here's the thing. If redemption and salvation was about you, you'd already be in heaven. There would be no point in you being here. No, God put you here to be part of a family, his family, to play a part in proclaiming the gospel, pointing people to Jesus and bearing witness to his goodness. And everything we do, we do for the glory of God. Every moment of your work, every moment of your study, even the most mundane things in life is an opportunity to demonstrate you live for a greater purpose. You live for something more. Every moment you spend with your family and friends is a window. A window into the heart of God as you show his love. Show love to your spouse, your children, your friends and everyone who comes into contact with you. There is purpose in those relationships. And every moment you spend here at church, every moment you serve, week in, week out, adds fuel to the work we do in proclaiming the gospel, pointing people to Jesus and bearing witness to the life that's found in him. It might seem small, but there is purpose, eternal purpose in everything we do. Every word you sing, every note you play, every verse you read, every dollar that you give, every meal you cook, every lesson you teach, every person you encourage, every prayer you offer, everything you do is filled with the potential and opportunity to be used by God. Used by God to redeem, to save people, to stand firm in Jesus. Because the world is filled with anxiety, confusion, fear about tomorrow. As Paul says to the Corinthians, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But he continues, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Coming back to what Jesus says here. Truly I tell you, verse 32, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. What are you feeling? What are you thinking as you hear all of that? Does it make you feel guilty, ashamed, numb? Unsure? Maybe it's energizing. It makes you feel alive or challenged, encouraged, refreshed, or a human mixture of all the above. Whatever you're feeling, whatever your response to this, Jesus wants to both encourage and challenge us. He wants to comfort us in this. Verse 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing. That's basically partying your life away. Drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. But that, that's not us, is it? We're, we're good people, right? I mean, we like a good party. But we're not, you know, endlessly partying our lives away. Some of us like a good drink. But it's not like we're getting drunk or anything. 
maybe you do struggle with alcohol. Well, you're not alone. You're not meant to be alone. I suspect, though, that many of us are more inclined to be weighed down by the anxieties of life. What weighs you down? Family, kids, material or financial stress, homes, renovations, career progressions or success, relationships, physical, mental health, information overload from constant news feeds. What what weighs you down? Or maybe you're just trying to escape it all, just ignore that it's all there. You might not party your life away or turn to alcohol, but... There's the endless streaming of TV shows, endless game after game, medication, hobbies, side hustles, isolating yourself from people in the world, constantly working, looking for the next great experience, the next holiday, the next escape from it all. Jesus says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. He knows. He knows life takes over. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. No one is immune to the pressures of life. Be always on the watch, he says, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus wants us to escape. He's not saying escapism is wrong. He's saying he's an alternative. He offers us an escape to the mindless alternatives of the world. Be careful, be watchful, be prayerful, he says, so that you will escape, that you will stand firm and win life. What's what's the escape route? Where does Jesus want us to go? Well, each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Jesus wants you to come to him. Your escape route is Jesus. To sit at his feet and to hear his words. The things of this world will pass away. They can't provide you an escape might be temporary, but it's not eternal. They might help numb the pain, forget the stress, or ignore the trouble of this world. But they will never give you escape, not the escape that Jesus offers. Jesus is going to the cross to give us an escape, to give this world an escape. In his death and resurrection, we have an escape route for eternity. And this is why we keep coming back to Jesus. This is why we keep coming back to the cross. This is why we keep coming back to his birth, because heaven and earth will pass away. All of it will pass away. But Jesus' words will never pass away. And that's hard. It's hard. It's so much easier to just switch off and ignore what's going on. But Jesus wants us to find life, to escape this world and find life in him, to escape the anxiety, the confusion, the fear, the apprehension. He wants us to escape that by coming to him. 
to hear the promises of his word. And it's the only sure escape. Now, church is good, but it's not enough. We need Jesus every day, not just once a week for a couple of hours. Because the world crowds in and it weighs us down. We've got life groups and it's a small opportunity for us again to turn our attention to Jesus. Now we're still finding our feet. But I want us to be a place where we keep turning to Jesus and his word throughout the week. Not just when we meet, but even in our interactions with each other. As we message each other, as we pray for each other, to encourage each other in word and in prayer. We remind one another of the truth. God is sovereign over all things. We are made righteous by the blood of Christ. We have peace with God. We pray that we have faith to stand firm. We remember our salvation. A couple of weeks, we'll baptize some brothers and sisters and we get a chance to remember our salvation. And we have the word of God to defend us. This is what Paul calls the armor of God. Ephesians 6. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and sword of of the Spirit. Now, this doesn't just make for a nice Christian coloring sheet for kids. This is our spiritual toolbox. This is our weapons case for standing firm in Jesus and the gospel. We need the full armor of God to stand firm and to win life in Jesus. We need truth that girds us. We need the breastplate of righteousness that protects our hearts from condemnation. We need shoes that move us to the gospel and brings the gospel to others. We need faith to shield us from temptation and lies. We need salvation to keep our minds safe from deceit that we're not enough for God. And we need the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, to continue breaking those things down. This is not just a kid's exercise. This isn't just something that you visualize because it's a great positivity activity. No, this is something that strengthens us for each and every day, not just for this life, but eternity, so that we can stand firm and win life in Jesus. And so as the world continues to turn, there will always be signs. Right to the very end, there will be wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilence, natural disasters. They will continue to happen. And it will cause our world to continue growing in fear. But Jesus tells us these things so that we might not be afraid. That we might be prepared. 
and that instead we might stand firm, confident in the gospel, confident that God is sovereign and that he is in absolute control and that we can stand with confidence and boldness and win at life in Jesus. But we do that together. We do that as we come together around his word, as we keep pointing each other to Jesus, as we keep praying and supporting each other, to be careful of the anxieties and the, the stresses of life, to, to always be on the watch, not just on watch of what's happening in the world, but what's happening in our lives. And in all of that, to pray, to pray for one another and to pray together that we might escape, that we might be able to stand having one life in Jesus. We do that together. And that's my prayer. And that's my hope. That we would not be caught off guard and afraid of what is happening in our world. Because as we remind each other, God is sovereign. And as our world is filled with fear that we might go with hope. And day by day, being careful so that our hearts are not weighed down. Always on the watch and prayerful. And we do that by coming to Jesus and hearing him and his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, gracious Lord Jesus, all-powerful Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to stand firm. Help us to win life. For some of us, it means to come to Jesus for the first time. Some of us, it's the second time, third time, hundredth time. Help us to come to him and to seek life, find life in him. Help us to have eyes to see what is happening around us in our world and in the lives of each, each other. And help us not to be filled with fear, but rather to be filled with faith, turning to you in trust and dependence for all things. And help us remember that you are not done. There are more people that you desire to enter into your kingdom and find redemption and help us play our part. And in doing that, we ask that you continue to give us the help of your Holy Spirit, that we might be careful we are not weighed down by the things of this world, that we might continue to be watchful that we might continue to be prayerful. And in doing so, that we stand firm and stand before our Lord Jesus. 
And so this we pray in his name. Amen.